Hi, and welcome to The Rocks Podcast. If you like stories with happy endings, you'll love the book of Ruth. Four quick chapters that beautifully illustrate how God can take the hopeless and helpless and exalt them to a place of incredible honor. Ruth's story is our story. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this remarkable book. Father, we are uh, glad to hear the dramatic, wonderful ending of the story behind Christmas this morning. So help us listen. Lord, these truths are only understood with the help of your Holy Spirit. Living word of God, do your work in our hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I came across a really gripping news article in the Washington uh, Post, the story of a once- Wealthy businessman fell on some hard times. He was telling his story there. His life was picture perfect there. There was a picture of his house that he had lived in before the hard times. Beautiful family, story of success, kind of like the American dream. And apparently uh, there were a few unscrupulous men working for his large uh, successful uh, company and they were managing the money uh, without integrity and playing some shell games and unbeknownst to him uh, he did get caught up and entangled in the mess uh, he was arrested tried convicted and sentenced to several years in prison although on appeal he was cleared of all wrongdoing but here's what he says about being incarcerated He said, I had no idea the great impact my incarceration would have on me, let alone my family and the people I love. Financial instability, separation, loss of assets, divorce, fear, anger, loss of control, hopelessness, and a very real sense of desperation. Upon my arrest, all my finances were frozen and later seized. A few months later, my wife and kids lost their home and moved from South Carolina to Tennessee to live with my wife's parents. The details, he describes the details, and uh, they're heartbreaking. Now, we've been hanging out in the book of Ruth, as I've mentioned, and I couldn't help but think, Man, if this would have happened in ancient Israel, uh, he wouldn't have a problem if he had a kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer now, as we enter the final chapter of the book of Ruth, has really come out to be the star of the story, that Old Testament position, the relative kinsman redeemer, the one who buys back to set free by Paying a price is what uh, redemption is all about and what the word redeemer means. And it's described in Leviticus 25. And, and so that relative would act on a family member's behalf, somebody like this man 
who would need a legal advocate. Uh, sometimes the kinsman redeemer would uh, spring someone out of the slammer, debtor's prison, as they used to call it, uh, to repurchase land that was lost and uh, properties and assets and reclaim uh, everything that was taken away uh, during the, the terrible tragedy. There were three qualifications as we get started here uh, to be a kinsman redeemer. And uh, one was you had to have the right. And so in other words, you had to be a kinsman. You had to be blood to the person who has been afflicted. And, and secondly, you know how to have the resources because one bankrupt dude isn't going to be very helpful to another bankrupt person. And so you had to have the resources. And then you had to have the resolve, finally. You had, had to be willing. And we're going to find out that, um, as we see in chapter 4, that it's up to the kinsman redeemer. You know, there were some consequences, but it's still, in the end, uh, the, the man could choose to redeem or not to redeem. And this is so important that God wrote it into the law, Israel's law, because uh, as you'll recall, uh, Joshua allocated the land to Israel by families, and the family and the land was connected. Uh, And so it was very important not to lose that land or you would lose Israel. So let's say uh, in the line of Judah, for uh, for example, Judah had a state, and in that state, the prophecy was from that state through a line of people, blood, would come the Messiah. So it was very important to God that nothing get in the way of that. So if you lose the family and you lose the line, if you lose the state there and it comes unraveled, you will not have a savior because the savior is contingent on promises and prophecies that say this is the land, this is the family, and this is the line, right? And so the Lord says, here's the safety net. Make sure that the Savior comes into the world to redeem the world, and I'm going to have a kinsman redeemer. And of course, uh, there's a double meaning as we watch Boaz. We see some pretty cool stuff about the true Boaz, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with that said, the, <laughs> the businessman in the article whose life was unraveling really could have used a guy like that. You know, he could have said with King David, this poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles, Psalm 34 and verse 6. And that was the job of the kinsman redeemer, to save you, out of all of your troubles. Wouldn't that be nice to have somebody who's related to you by blood, part of the human race, who just loves you to pieces, a friend in high places who can save you from absolutely every single last one of your very terrible problems. Wouldn't that be nice? Wink, 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 wink. I don't have anything in my eye. I'm just trying to not give away the punchline totally. We have called this. So this story is unfolding in Bethlehem, right? And so here you've got this guy who's going to step in and save the day as it unfolds in Bethlehem. So modern day listeners are thinking, hey, this is beginning to sound 
familiar. There must be something larger, bigger, grander going on here, and you're right, and that's why we are talking about this at Christmas time, because there is a Boaz that has come into the world um, really to rescue and to redeem, to bring tidings of comfort and joy, and Ruth's story is our story, isn't it? Let's dive in to the finale. All right, so now let me just kind of catch you up here before, thank you, and we're, we, we, yeah, we can, it can go blank, you know, I won't have their attention, they'll all be reading, I know how they are. <clears throat> The big dramatic finale, and it will catch you off guard. I don't care how many times you've read the story and you know what's coming, but it's still breathtaking. And, and so, uh, but it will be diminished if you don't know what's just been happening. And so I got to catch you up. Chapter one, there was a famine in Bethlehem. The house of bread is what Bethlehem means. And um, sometimes God lets that happen to to test our hearts. And so the Elimelech family failed the test and didn't sit tight and trust Jesus and Yahweh, I should say. Uh, And they fled. Uh, They left the promised land for the land of compromise, the Moabites, the enemy of all things God and Bible and Israel. So we have Elimelech and Naomi and their two boys. So they go to uh, Moab, Moab is just notorious for their godless, wicked practices and their disgraceful origins. And you know, you can't never, you can't never, <laughs> you can't never be blessed if, if you. I just go with it, you know. When you just go with it, uh, you can't never be blessed if you try to do things outside of God's will. And sometimes people just really push the envelope there, and they did. And and um, uh, uh, Elimelech dies. Now, rather than return, uh, Naomi, now a widow, marries off her two boys to Moabitesses. That's like a thou shalt not. That that was really not a good thing to do. Uh, Not because God's down on interracial marriages, but because these girls were spiritually not equally yoked. And so it would be like a Christian man who's a real Christian like really believes in God, you know, and lives it out, uh, attracted and wants to marry a militant, hostile atheist. See, it's like, why'd you do that, you know? And so they did it, and they died. Now, there's a pattern established here. (laughs) And so uh, Naomi hears that, hey, the Lord has come to his rescue after 10 long years, and, and she decides to come back to Bethlehem with these two uh, Moabite uh, daughter-in-laws, but you know what she says, who are widowed too. So three widows and what to do. She says, okay, why don't you, you ladies stay here? And so she tries to dissuade them. She's caught up in her own grief, rightfully so, uh, as far as honest grief, but mishandling her grief for sure. And so Orpah, you, one of the girls says, yeah, I'm going back to my people, my gods, and my ways. And the other one says, oh no, I'm having a change of heart. Ruth clings to her and says, your people, instead of these people who are wicked, your God, instead of Chemosh, who uh, expects us to throw kids into the fire. Yeah, I want your God and I'm coming to your land 
and uh, where you're buried, I'm going to be buried in all of that. So chapter one ends with two helpless widows returning to Bethlehem. Naomi saying, don't call me sweetie, which is what her name meant. You know, call me Mara, which means bitter. And then she blames God. See, remember, honest grief, but mishandled. So she blames God for all of her troubles, like uh, a lot of people do. And, and so, uh, but Ruth, she's got the spark of faith, you know? And even though she's a Moabitess, uh, she has a heart uh, to uh, believe and be more hopeful in the Lord. Chapter one, done. Chapter two, oh, chapter two. Ruth, the Moabitess, is like, hey, somebody ought to go try to, you know, put ourselves out there and try to get some food. We are losing weight and dying here. So Ruth uh, says, uh, hey, I, it'll be me. I'll just go pick up some scraps in some uh, guy's random field. And she just happens to happen upon this field of Prince Charming, this Boaz, uh, who's got the right to redeem, got the resources to do it. But well, the question throughout two, three, and two and three is, is he willing Right, and so yeah, she just happens to. Well, Boaz is smitten with this young, godly new convert, and speaks kindly, and invites her to his dinner table there out in the fields, and uh, and says, "Hey, hang out for us for the eight weeks during harvest," you know, and leaves out the grain for and all of this. Well, Ruth returns to her ramshackle lean-to with her bitter Mara uh, mother-in-law. I'm telling you, I'm inspired this morning, all right? <laughs> so we're going to go with the mother-in-law. <laughs> and the mother-in-law had, had three 30 pounds of barley, and she's like, okay, who is this? She, Naomi reacts and says, what? What's his name? And then, you know, the long drama. She says, the man that I worked with in the fields today, when I went out looking for food, his name shall be called. Get to it, Boaz. And then she's all, what? Shut up. Uh, That is, I don't, that is, he's got the right, he's got the resources. He, oh, does he have the resolve? Does he like you? Yeah, yeah, mom, I think he likes me. Did you say anything? Did you anything? Right? And she says, mom, it's complicated. Why is it so complicated? Spell it out. She spells it out. M O A. B, Moab. Oh, God had a thing about Moab. Moab and God, they were enemies. And so, yeah, mom, he's a Jewish, wealthy Israelite. Why would he want somebody like me? I got baggage. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks, and she actually was. I mean, the wrong side of the Jordan, as it were, because those people hated God tossing their kids in the fire and all of that. And so she stays in the fields for eight weeks and every night it's the same old story around some really nice roasted grain that Boaz has been providing. Well, does he like you? Come on, did he? What did he say today? You know, the same old thing for eight weeks. Did you say you liked him? Are you hinting? Is he hinting anything? The clock is ticking and on the last day they're together, still nothing. And the, the mother-in-law is like, well, what kind of Jewish mother-in-law am I? I mean, I got to get busy. I got to have a plan. So chapter three is that scandalous, shady, sordid plan. 
laid out. That's what chapter three is. So chapter three. This woman's been out of fellowship for 10 years. She's been doing things Moab style, this Naomi, right? And so she says, listen, I got this plan. We're going to force him to make a decision, okay? Because you know what? I'm tired of just a little roasted grain. Look at this. We have no door. We have a little <laughs> curtain. We live, a, it's mud. It's cold in here. You got, girl, you got to do something. And so he says, she says, doll yourself up tonight. I got this plan. And you, so you put on a heavy am amount of perfume. You take your shower, you do your hair, you use that lip gloss, and you work it, all right? <laughs> you, <laughs> oh, it's worse than I'm making it out. And she says, I want you to go. Well, let him eat and let him drink. And after a couple of beers, he's probably feeling good. He's a righteous man. He will not get drunk. But they did drink beer and they did drink wine. But after he's feeling kind of relaxed and good, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sneak into the threshing floor where nobody but prostitutes go if you're a woman. Sneak in there at night. Don't let anybody see you. Uncover him and lay down and he'll know what to do. <laughs> And we're going to get us a marriage. We're going to get us a man. This is the way you do it in Moab, you know? And all this tap dancing around. I already preached that sermon, but, you know, all this, it's cultural. It's cultural. It's Jewish cultural. I'm a Jew. I've never heard of anything like that. This is how you propose. You sneak into some guy's bedroom all dolled up and uncover him and lay down. No, that's not cultural. That's called what Moab does to get a guy, right? And so Naomi's not in her right mind. And oh, I apologize if I offend you lovers of Naomi. Sorry. <laughs> you just sort of looked that way. So anyway, Boaz, Ruth spares herself this by laying at his feet. And he wakes up and she's at his feet laying there like, um, I'm your servant. I do really kind of like you. I understand I'm from Moab and you're not and all of that. But if you did like me and if you did want to, I would probably say yes. And he's like, wow, you had choices. I'm, I'm really flattered. And yes, I, I, I will say yes. However, bum, 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 the, the music comes on. There's a problem. There's somebody next in line who technically, legally, can actually redeem you. And it wouldn't be kosher for me to step in, but I got a plan. So she goes back home. Naomi's grin goes, turns upside down to a frown when she says, no, I'm not married, mom, okay? <laughs> back off. And uh, she says, listen, he's got a plan, but there's somebody else in this whole thing. And so they're all upset and Naomi finally gets it. Okay, I guess we're just gonna have to wait and trust God. Meanwhile, we're in chapter four. Boaz goes up to the town gate to deal with this other guy, right? Sits there. When the kinsman redeemer, the other dude he had mentioned came along, Boaz says to him, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over there and sat down, verse two. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. So they did. So he's taking charge. Verse three, then he says to the kinsman redeemer wannabe, 
Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother, cousin, family member, word, Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do it. (laughs) But if you won't, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he says. What? Okay, then we're going to leave it right there, okay? (laughs) Now... Yeah, a little bit of a cliffhanger, and, and I have titled this heading, uh, note takers, The Gasp, okay? And all the headings this morning are brought to you by the letter G. How did you know that? <laughs> G for gasp and all of the rest of it. They don't always do that, but, uh, you know, I was inspired, so there, G. So there is a guest. There's a crowd gathered. Now, now what's going on here? Uh, he takes it the next day. Uh, Naomi was right. He's going to waste no time at all settling this matter, right? And so I want you to picture Courtyard Square because that's sort of what it was. At the city gate, and you hear that a lot in the Old Testament, that's where you uh, conducted any kind of business transactions. It's where you did Uh, weddings and where any kinds of uh, issues where uh, business issues were settled or discussed or conducted. Uh, And so instead of dealing with the problem under the covers in the cloak of darkness and uh, literally in the shady way, Boaz is an upright dude. He says, hey, let's do this legally and publicly, which should have been done in the first place. And so uh, at first, Boaz's plan, and he may seem like a country bumpkin, like, don't you know how the world works, man? You can't put it out here. Yeah, sometimes when you play by the rules, it puts you at a disadvantage, and we all know that. And it's usually only God-fearers who don't cut corners. Because in Moab's thinking, if you don't cut corners, well, you're going to lose out, right? But Boaz isn't afraid to lose out because when you don't cut corners and you do it God's way, the right way, the legal way, God will say, I know it puts you at a disadvantage, but guess what? I'm coming into this thing and I'm going to bless you for doing the right thing because it took faith for you to say no. I'm not going to do what everybody else does here, you know, and take the risk that this dude is going to say exactly what he says. Okay, yeah. And you, little do you know that this dude isn't just some other dude. He's a bad guy. You don't even realize that. I'm about to tell you this. Well, first of all, how do we know he's a bad guy? Well, game on. Boaz is doing his thing. And uh, he says, come over here, my friend. Now, the NIV has kind of taken the awkwardness away because he doesn't say my friend. It can make sense, but here's what it means. It means the King James nailed it. It says ho, which means hey, all right? And then you got hey, ho. No, sorry. (laughs) It does say, yeah, instead of hey, listen, you know, he says such a one. Hey, such a one. That's what it literally says. And that's why King James literally has, hey, such a one. Well, what it means is when you forget somebody's name, you say, hey, you know, it was so-and-so, right? Or you say, uh, yeah, what's his name? 
What's his name? That's exactly what it means. And there's a reason the scriptures are dissing this guy because he is a rival to the real dude. And we're gonna, and, and Boaz, what he's gonna do is gonna draw out his true intentions and his character ever so shrewdly. He's no country pumpkin, this guy, you know? He's doing it the right way, but what did Jesus say? I want you to be wise as serpents and meek and harmless as doves. So he's saying, that's a whack world out there. You don't just go around there just like some dumb Christian sheep, right? You get slaughtered. So he says, hey, use your brain. Kind of think like them without sinning. You see, and so that's exactly what's going on here. So we've got in the Hebrew, it's polo, it's a it's a rhyme. Hey, poloni alamoni. <laughs> it means hey, Mister So and So. Hey, So and So, So So So. I forget your name. What's your name? Yeah, come on over here, and uh, you'll find out <laughs> why <laughs> his name is not worthy to be mentioned. So he Boaz wants to catch this dude off guard because when you catch somebody who's unscrupulous off guard and you don't give them a lot of information or a lot of time, you know what happens? They don't they can't get the story right. They can't think it through. They can't put up the fake mask. They can't their true intentions are easier to slip out when you catch somebody off guard and that's exactly what he wanted. Do you remember he told Ruth, Shh, "Don't be talking about this to anybody. I'll take care of it in the morning." But Shh, you know, I don't want news to get out to him so he can concoct the whole reason why he's going to be the dude, all right? As it is, he already said yes to part one, right? So what's his name takes a seat and he says, let's talk business, pal. Let's talk business, bud. Let's talk business, bub. You know, it's the whole thing. So you got 10 elders there as witness. The word elder there means, it, it means to have a beard, so in other words, they have a, not a beer, <laughs> a beard, <laughs> you know, but once you have a beard, I, anyway, moving on, uh, men of age, maturity, responsibility, that's what it means. And so the decision regarding Ruth and her mother-in-law and any marriage is not going to be legal matter of record there, the city gates. Now, Boaz is in charge. You sit here. And the 10 guys, you sit here. Now let's talk about setting forth this case. He says, Naomi uh, returned to Moab, as you know and may have heard. Um, and she's selling a piece of property that belonged to her and Elimelech, uh, our kin, right? So now apparently, what's up with having some land there? Well, it sounds like she has land. Well, the thing is, is before they moved to Moab, uh, they mortgaged it off or sold it or lost it or rented it out and then lost it. Something happened. It's still her land technically as God would have it. Even after 50 years, that land would, would still belong to them. And the, after 50 years, they had this thing called the year of Jubilee. And it's like, give the land back to the Elimelech family. But, you know, if there's no Elimelechs, <laughs> then... You, there's nothing to talk about. And, and so she's, yeah, he's saying, bro, she needs that field that they lost. We need you to buy it back, right? And let me know because you have first right of refusal. So Mr. So-and-so, he says, sure, sounds good. There are 10 guys watching with beards, you know? And he wants everybody. And there's a crowd, and you know 
you know Naomi and Ruth are in that crowd. You know Naomi is. <laughs> and you know wherever Naomi goes, Ruth goes too, you know. And so he says, sounds good, sure, yes, you know, um, while everybody in the crowd is holding their breath because they want a happy ending. They all know who he is and they all know who uh, Romeo is and they all know who Juliet is. They know the story. Everybody talks. It's not a thriving metropolis, people. It's Bethlehem, all right? And so they know and everybody's like, <clears throat> she, he said yes. And then so here's what the dude thinks he's getting, a real deal. Since Naomi... And so the only one mentioned, Naomi is past childbearing age. And so by law, he doesn't have to marry her or produce an heir. He just has to make sure there's a roof over granny's head. She's not really a granny, right? And, and there's food in her tummy. He takes some money. He buys the field for himself. And he gets a profit off of the land, and when she's gone, and how much money does it take to uh, take care of her anyway? Nothing. So he's getting money, he's got the property, and it becomes an asset to his grown children. Let's say he has some grown children, he probably does, or some young boys in the house. It's theirs. So he's just making a really smart investment. And so he says, you know what, gentlemen? Yes, though it would cost me I will step forward and I will uh, do the deed here. I'll be the good Samaritan. I, you know me. I'm the kind of guy who give you the shirt off my back. So yes, everybody rest assured. I've got the right. I got the money. Do you want to know how much money? Because I'll tell you right now. And I choose, yes, I'll be the kinsman redeemer, the hero in the story, with, and with that, as I said, there's the gasp. Everybody's inhaling, nobody's exhaling, including Naomi. <laughs> Naomi's gonna need CPR if we don't get moving, so we better start so, so she can exhale. Okay, moving along. Then Boaz says, oh, I forgot. On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth, the Moabitess. Did I mention where she's from? Uh -huh. You acquire the dead man's widow, Ruth, the Moabitess. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, that means you'll produce a son. At this, the kinsman redeemer says, then I can't do it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. Yeah, no, you could do it, but you won't do it. But people who won't do something and want to look better just say, I can't do it. So verse 7, now parenthetical information now in earlier times in Israel for redemption and transfer of property to become final. One party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. I'll explain that for you. Verse 8, so the kinsman redeemer says to Boaz, buy it yourself. The big baby he is. And he removes his sandal. Yikes. All right, I promise you a G, right? The glitch. All right, Boaz gets to the fine print. Now, there's more to it than what's just in it for you, bub. 
All right, so let's go to page two of the contract here, gentlemen. And just so you all know, this is a twofer package, all right? They come as a team. Naomi, the mother-in-law, has a widowed daughter-in-law. In other words, there were two Mrs. Elimelechs. One was married to Elimelech's senior dad, Naomi, and one was married to his son, Elimelech Jr. His real name is Malan. So Ruth, who is of childbearing age, you'll have to marry her, the Moabitess, and you will have to produce a son to keep that property in their name. Now here's at this, what's his name's face drops completely. You mean it's you mean it's not just pure profit? It's not just what I can get? Uh, you mean I'd have to bet, like save the day and pay a price for somebody else on behalf of them so that they will benefit so that I will, here's what he says, I'll spoil my own estate. I'll damage it. I'll ruin it. Those Hebrew words, I'll endanger it. Here's what he's saying. I'm gonna take money from my portfolio that really is for my boys, my natural born boys, my family over here before this Ruth Moabitess thing happened, right? I'm gonna use some of my assets and I'm gonna buy a field that's not gonna revert to me, it's gonna revert to Ruth's boy. And so instead of going to my boys in my natural little world that I've got going here, my little Judean American dream, it's not American, <laughs> threw that in there, my Judean dream, I'm gonna have, you mean I gotta pay a price? and then lose it to, to bail out some Moabitess? I think not. Oh, I can't do that. But see, it blurted out. It blurted out. Endanger my estate? Well, everybody there just snarled and rolled their eyes. Like, yeah, some kinsman redeemer. See, Boaz is the man of valor, and you can't compare this phony baloney is what we should have, yeah, Poloni, alimony, phony baloney. <laughs> That's exactly what he is. And so Mr. Uh, Boaz is quite shrewd. And so he says, uh, number two reason why he's not going to, he says, you know, did I mention she's a Moabitess? Now, that's so good. He doesn't say, Ruth, the talk of the town for purity. She was. He's already said that. Everybody talks about you like, wow. You put us Hebrews to shame. The way you love on our God, who is now your God. Like you're this new convert. You're just wowing us all with your character. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't make a case. He just calls her a Moabitess, right? He knows what he's doing. Because how's that going to look on your resume, Bubba? You know, <clears throat> how's that for your family and neighbors? Who's that girl? Oh, she's from Moab. Moab, you know, it's a big deal. And how about his wife? Let's say he's married. He's probably married. You know, hey, honey, I was down at the market, farmer's market today. I got a sack of grain, a bag of figs, and this young, beautiful Moabitess. <laughs> that ought to go over really well. Yeah. No. Um, no, thanks. I can't. No can do. A collective sigh in the crowd is heard. Now, regarding the sandal, the sandal just says, I give up my right to walk 
on that property to enjoy that. So here, here's the shoe. I won't be walking like with one barefoot. Yeah, no, here, here you go. And so that's what they do. They stopped doing that probably for the same reason we're all going, what was that about? Uh, but they did stop doing that along the way. So what's his name is outed. You know, there's close to 20 names in the story, uh, but his is missing. 20 names in the chapter, but his is missing on purpose. And here's one of the quotes. Here we see why the holy writer omits the name altogether. It's a way of showing contempt for the poser. He's not interested in preserving another one's name or lineage. So now his own name will disappear into obscurity. In God's economy, a life that's all about me, myself, and I, for God, is not worth the trouble of remembering. Pretty serious stuff. Now, if you want a quick spiritual application, Boaz is screaming Jesus, kinsman redeemer, in ways that you can't even know yet. Who's felonious Bolonius screaming? You know? Who's the other? Who's a rival to Jesus? Who makes promises? Who's vying for, for the souls of men next to our Jesus? Who's wooing and calling and drawing and promising life? and contentment. Come to me, everybody who's weird. Who, is there another being that wants to be like him that is out there saying, come to me, come to me, I'll set you free. Oh, just worship me and I'll give you all of this. I wonder who that could be and why the Holy Spirit says, don't even mention his name. There's a couple kinsmen redeemers out there and you will wind up with the one you choose. There are only two. And on that great day, <laughs> when the roll is called up yonder, you either had the Boaz or you had the poser who made great promises, but as you will see then, couldn't deliver. And so, yeah, that's why it's not named. Let's uh, get some good news here going. 9 through 12, we're almost there. Then Boaz announces to the elders and all the people, today your witnesses, I have bought, purchased from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today, you are my witnesses, and you know there was a cheer, and you know that Naomi is breathing again. <laughs> Verse 11, then the elders and all those at the gate said, we are witnesses, a response, a legal response going on there, and now some blessings. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Aphrathah, means the earlier name of Bethlehem. It means fruitful, because the place always was productive. This means house of bread, you see. And be famous in Bethlehem. 
Uh, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may, you, may your family be like that of Perez, 10 generations back, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So there's some interesting things here. Uh, the G is good news, all right? Now, uh, Boaz is able and willing, and he's outsmarted, uh, what's his name, right? And Ruth chose wisely, uh, and, and she did have options, you know? Um, listen, <laughs> not everyone here in the story is, has experienced the good news, all right? Um, listen, verses nine and 10, you, you have everybody named <clears throat> who's benefiting at the party. You've got Naomi and her late husband's name, Elimelech. You've got Kilion. You've got Malin, Ruth's uh, late husband. Uh, but, uh, and, and you've got the other dude who was married to who? who? The person who's missing from the happy celebration. And I just wanted to note here that, you know, by her own choice, Orpah excluded herself from the redemption story. She went home to Chemosh. Not Yahweh. She went home to Moabites who hate Israel. She went home to her own unbelief, her own heart. By her own choice, she excluded herself from the record of redemption. And you know, my mind went to Revelation 20. And so Revelation 20 is a vision of what comes after Armageddon and the kingdom of God arrives. And at the end of the age, there's a great white throne and there's a book opened in Revelation chapter 20. You can read it yourself. And there's a list of names in a record, the Christmas story of redemption because whosoever was saved by their sins by faith in Christ, the Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, uh, appears in this book, in the story. But not everybody's name will be in that book. And, and there's a picture for uh, the tragedy that awaits them, but they're not in the book. And why are they not in the book? Because the kinsmen overlooked them or said they're nasty or they're bad or whatever. Uh-uh. Because they were given a choice. One sister said, yes, I want Boaz of sorts. The other sister said, I want nothing to do with God, the, the whole thing, the Bible, the whole thing. I'm just not interested. There was a choice. That's a mystery to me. They were both raised in the same house. They're both Moabitesses. They both have things that they're not proud of. They both have all the reasons in the world to stay and, or to go. But why does one sister go and one sister stays? Why does one brother become a pastor and the other brother a drug dealer? What, what, what is that thing? I wish we could just get a bottle, put some pills in it, and get, pass them out. So that, well, if according to the Bible, according to the Bible, so that we would avoid the tragedy of what the Bible says will happen if the kinsman redeemer doesn't get to you in time or you get to him. It's just the Bible. It's offensive to a lot of people because they just say, hey, let me just be born and I'll be a good person. I don't need a kinsman redeemer. I can redeem myself because I'm basically a good person, you know? But you've lied and you've fallen short of your own, your, your own uh, ideals, your own virtues, 
You've gone against what you think is the right thing to do. So what do you do about that? You need somebody to fix that, to redeem that. And it comes down to a choice. And I just feel sorry for the Orpas in the world who just, uh, they were rubbing shoulders right there. They're right there. And that is going to be the worst thing in the whole world. I, that you were close, that you're, you, you rubbed, your dad was a believer. You were raising it, you held a Bible. Oh, that's the worst. I would rather perish. I would rather perish far, far away. I would not rather perish at all. But if I had to lose out, I would want to lose out far, far away. Then at the doorstep, having heard and understood and had more advantages than half of the planet, and still, Orpah, you excluded yourself. Where's your name? And it's not because God didn't want your name in the book. Eternity's a long time. It's a long time. Don't exclude yourself. I didn't see that coming, but <laughs> things like that happen up here. <laughs> so there's some blessings here. May the Lord bless you guys. Like Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah really started Israel with their 13 children. Uh, 12 of them turned out to be heads of the tribes of Israel. So that's a blessing for uh, prolific children. Uh, a blessing for prosperity to have great standing in Bethlehem it just means that you have success financially and otherwise. And then the third blessing is they go back to Perez, 10 generations, and because they are Judah, they're in Judah, right? The state of Judah. And, and so they, a lot of them descend from this dude named Judah. So he goes back to Perez, who is really the first Judahite, all right? Because Judah, the next in line from Judah is gonna be Perez, but the way Perez comes into the world is he needs a kinsman redeemer to start it. So there's a lot going on there. And now here's a kinsman redeemer. May you be blessed. Here is it. The third blessing is this, long live Judah. The line of Judah, listen, long live that line. May it be famous and blessed and go down wherever that line of Judah is supposed to go. Oh, do you hear what I hear? Yeah, no, you don't. No, I guess. It's a Christmas song. Do you hear what I hear? Okay, okay, let's, let's find out where the line goes. So let's finish up with the gift, the, the baby. So Boaz takes Ruth and she becomes his wife. The Lord enables her to conceive. She gives birth to a son there in Bethlehem that may bless that line of Judah. The women say to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, Ruth, this Ruth, he gave you Ruth, who's better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi, grandma, right, takes the child, lays, her in, lays him in her lap and cares for him. The women living there says, hey, Naomi has a son. Uh, and they named him Obed. 
and he's the father of Jesse, the father of King David. Oh, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Let's just finish this up, though, here. Children are a gift from the Lord, the psalmist says, um, especially in this case, because did you notice that Ruth did not have children for 10 years in Moab? Why? Maybe they were calling out to Chemosh. Hey, Chemosh, where are the kids? Where are the kids? Where are the kids? 10 long years. You're not getting any kids because there's no such thing as Chemosh. Now the Lord, you see, the Lord is being credited to giving them kids because in Moab, where you're doing things your own way, it just didn't happen. And so God says, okay, now you're back in the land of promise. We can have, we can continue this story. Uh, redemption story. And, and for me, it all comes together here. This is the best part of Romans 8, 28, isn't it? You know, at the start when someone says, hey, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. So that means all, everything in your life is, is being worked together for good. That's hard when you can't see how, I mean, everything just got blown apart or the fire just took everything and there's nothing left. But when you start to see the end result, like, wow, the different house, you ran into the different person who ends up to be now your husband and you would never have found your husband, had the house that all of this, or found the Lord. That's the fun part of, of the redemption story. So we're at that fun part where now the focus is on Naomi because she was so empty, so bitter, so miserable. And the ladies are like, hey, are you out of your funk yet, woman? I mean, they're saying, uh, hey, look at you. Praise the Lord. You return bitter and empty and accusing God. But look what's in your lap. And that's the deal. Long kind of thing. Little did she know God was taking her own misstepping, her own wandering, and going to turn it around for something she could never have dreamed of. And she's holding little chubby, little chubby tubbins, little beautiful, wonderful grandson of, of sorts. Even so, the ladies say, it's like a, 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 a son to you, you know, and just, you know, that's how God is. In our own faith family, you know, there are weddings after funerals. In our faith family, births and baby dedications after terrible loss. In our faith family, new love after horrendous betrayal. God is the God of second chances. And our kinsman redeemer is at work in this faith fellowship. So coming to a close here, strangely, in Bethlehem, and now they say may be famous in, throughout history, may his line go. Now, now watch this. Samuel says, hey, this baby in Naomi's lap, Miss Bitterness, now turning back to Naomi's sweet, this baby happens to be grandfather to King David, the greatest king this earth has ever seen. But wait, there's more. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter one. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the God-man, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now let's go back to starting with the first Jew. Abraham, this is how Jesus came, through the line of Judah. Abraham, 
Louis, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah. There he is. And his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez. Oh, yes, may you be blessed like Perez, and may that continue on. And Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Stop. <laughs> what? No wonder he's okay with marrying a, con a convert from Moab because his mother is Rahab, a convert from Canaan who was a prostitute until she got backed into a corner by God and figured out, you know what? I better convert right now or die. So she did. And she marries in and, and she produces little Boaz who grows up with a Gentile mommy with a shady past. He's perfect. <laughs> because he's going to look at this beautiful convert from Moab with sympathy. Right? So God knows what he's doing, but it gets better. Salmon, the father whose mother happened to be Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. <laughs> this is a New Testament. What are you doing in the New Testament in line of Jesus Christ, the God-man? You were in Moab. You were in Moab without God, without hope, among people who hated that God. Little did you know. But it goes on to on. And David was the father of Solomon. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. And it goes on about 28 times. And then you have these lines, these words. And Mathen, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Amen. Now, that's just Joseph. Mary shares the same genealogy and, uh, and is related to, and the reason, I need Bethlehem on the screen, the next one. Thank you. The reason Joseph and Mary have to go back to Bethlehem is because both Joseph and Mary are related to Obed, the little fat chubby grandbaby that's asleep on little Miss Bitter's lap. <laughs> Mara, little Miss Bitter, Naomi, who says, oh, the Lord's always trying to kill me. You know, the Lord's after me. The Lord hates me. Blah, 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 blah. Now she's sitting holding who? The great grandfather times 28 times 30 of the God man. That's called redemption. I mean, you look at it. This is how it happened, right? She's pledged to be married to Joseph before they come together. She's proud to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So mom is blood to Obed. Dad is blood to Obed. We don't need dad because he's going to be fully human. He's going to be a kinsman redeemer. What? To save their people from their sins. It's to redeem them. There, my friends, is the kinsman redeemer who has the right. Why? Because he's born a human being, a baby, in swaddling clothes. He's fully human in every way. He's one of us. So he can pay for one of our, 
uh, uh, penalties. But secondly, he has the resources to redeem you because if he was a regular sinner, he'd need a redeemer. But because he's conceived of the Holy Spirit without the help of Joseph, even though Joseph is related to Obed, just because God can, he shows you that. He's got the resources. He was pure. He was God. He's the second person of the Godhead. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word that was God became one of us. So you've got the perfect kinsman redeemer, fully us, fully man, and fully God together to lay down his life and pay. Now the third prerequisite, is he willing? (laughs) Is he willing Is he willing for God so loved the world that he gives his only son? Is he willing? Is he willing? Do you know what he went through to get you to this service to one more time say, hey, I know you've got your problems. I know you've built your walls. I know you've got your issues. And I've heard your talk banter back and forth through the whole sermon. I've been listening and pleading and hoping and interceding for you that you not miss this, that I came for you, I created you. I laid down my life for every sin so that on that day when you, I look at the, the gates, the prison gates. You say, I got a pretty good life. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good gal. I got it kind of together. I don't need this. There are other paths and all, you know, you're gonna die. You're going to die. And then what? Who's going to open that door for you? How about the one who died and busted the gates open, proving that if you put your trust in him, that he'll fling open those doors for you as well and redeem you. The hardest thing is for good people who don't really, you know, they haven't blown their lives like Rahab and all of these people who can't get it together. It's the good people that have a hard time understanding that they're still a slave to sin and that the other kinsman redeemer may have his hand in blinding and keeping you right where he wants you away from redemption. That's the Christmas story. The ability to come in and open the prison gates, let us out, give us life. Not just about going to heaven either. It's about enjoying his love while we're here. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray? Father God, we just thank you so much now, Father, for your great love, your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for the story of redemption. May you fill our hearts with an understanding that we never exclude ourselves from what you have for us, but that we include ourselves by simply trusting in our kinsman redeemer, the great savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.